Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today is the first in a series of three special episodes where we delve into all things Cactus Search, probably the most well-known recruitment company in our industry. And what better place to start than with Francesca Randall and Guy Masters. Francesca and Guy, thanks very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. There's a big build up, you see. Yeah, <laughs> I probably, probably should jump in there and actually, Martin, and just say officially it's Francesca Masters, obviously, but for work-wise it's Francesca Randall. Well, maybe that's a really good place to start as well in terms of how often do you encounter people that don't know you're actually married? Well, we don't often. It's a case of having to tell people, unless obviously they've worked with us for years and then they know. And um, I think people say, well, why, why don't you? And I actually, historically, because we started the business before we were married, and I suppose we were in, in, in this industry for such a long time, people knew us of those names and um, it just stuck. And, I think uh, actually, actually also at the time when we started it, we didn't, we didn't necessarily want to be known as the husband and wife team. If that makes sense. Mm. Anyway, why? I don't really know why. It just, you know, <laughs> it just didn't feel. It felt better that we weren't for some reason. But anyway, there we are. And how? how years ago. Well, let's go back then to that point. Yeah. How did it all start? How did it all start? Well, I'll start with me. So I've been in recruitment all my, well, both of us have actually all our working lives. So um, 1997 was my first job in recruitment. Um, that was with a company called Progressive, who are an IT recruiter, part of a big group called S3, which people will know, I'm sure. So um, my life started in um, IT recruitment and, um, you know, went through basically until I joined Capita in 2003. Um, Oh, I have no. to say about the doggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I only Mine to wake up in the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So basically joined Capital in 2003, and that's where I met Guy. And that's when my first uh, sort of foray into the contact center world began. Um, and I joined Capita uh, as a sort of head of volume recruitment. But then at the, the, the business that was then known as Recall, we basically outsourced huge, huge, huge volume campaigns. So we would run everything from um, the advertising, the whole 360 piece, do all of the assessment centers, um, and basically outsource it on behalf of our clients. We had our own call center within Capita that took all of the response to candidate advertising and, and life, wow. the whole piece was a world away. I mean, I suppose, you know, to, you're talking what, 2003. So yeah, it was a long time ago, but even in terms of that as a timescale, it actually isn't that long when you think about the change um, we've experienced in recruitment since that time. So, and that's where I met Guy. Um, and that's where uh, basically sort of our, our experience in contact centre recruitment, well, mine, began and then guys developed. And, and Guy, then Guy from, from your point of view, where were you also at Capita then? I was. Yeah, I was. I joined, I joined Capita. But I, I was in, so when I, in, 2000, in 1998, which makes me feel extremely old, obviously, <laughs> Um, in 1998, myself and a friend had this little wacky idea that we're going to do. The dog is now knocking on my door. Anyway, we're going to we were going to do contact centre management recruitment. So, um, me and a mate um, want to start a want to start a company. And his father very kindly said, "Well, look, you know, you guys know nothing. You're, you know, you're 21 years old. Here's a corner of he had his own business. So he said, here's a corner of my office. Here's two telephone lines. Here's, you know, two old." IBM 286 computers, I think they were. Anyway, he said, uh, he said, off you go. So um, my mate, um, who who quickly realised that we couldn't actually earn any money until we actually build any money, decided <laughs> immediately, well, I'm not doing that, then I'm going off to find a job, so off he went, and left me on my own in the corner of this office with a 286 computer. Um, and from there, we uh, from there we built the team, and um, we had sort of kind of great times, and um, did some brilliant stuff. And I think back in those days, we were recruiting managers for call centres. That's what we were doing. Purely managers for call centres. There was no speech analytics, WFM. There was none of that kind of stuff. It was just brand new world. Go in and manage a load of people in a big room somewhere with a load of phone lines. Um, um, why was why contact centre managers? Why did you did why did you sort of land on that? 
So um, I went to work for an organization in London for a brief period who were a recruiter into contact centers and they did volume resourcing. In fact, um, and they, it was really, really good fun, but London wasn't the right place for me. It was far too expensive to live there earning next to nothing. And I was in business development and it was, it was great fun, but I kind of had to move home. And I thought, well, actually, I've really enjoyed what I'm doing, but I need to do it in a cheaper environment. And actually, I really quite like doing things myself. So um, that's kind of why, why we built it to begin with. Um, and yeah, we had great times, great fun. Um, built the team, did really well. I suppose I'm, uh, the slightly unfortunate ending to that for me was that being, you know, sort of 21 years old and very naive, I didn't realise that all my sort of my idea and my um, sweat, blood and tears didn't translate into me owning some of that company. So three and a bit years later, I was like, wow, I don't, you mean I don't own any of it? No. Oof. It's a bit of a hard pillar, pillar to swallow, so I left. There's a big learning curve, that one, guys. There's a big learning curve. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it does then lend itself to... Um, my uh, daughter's got a business studies GCSE today. And right. when, you, when you read through it now versus certainly back when, when I was at, at school, they're, they're so, so different. And that kind of entrepreneurship and owning your own business and the things you need to be mindful of if you're there as a kind of period of startup is actually prevalent now whereas before it, it wasn't and you have the only way you learn is through is kind of through your um experiences yeah absolutely. so it was, a, it was a great experience at the time obviously not that final ending if you like but it was yeah. a great experience at the time um and i i loved every minute of it literally were seven till seven till nine seven days a week absolutely loved it um and what is is it the bug then so you're both very passionate about um recruitment and the contact center industry from that early point um are you bitten by a bug and then it stays with you for forever because you're both still really passionate about it now I think, it, I, think it, I think it probably is. I think it probably yeah. is. Um, I think we're, we're fortunate enough to work in an industry that, that, for better or for worse, touches everyone's lives in some respect. Um, whether someone be trying to get through the EasyJet to cancel a flight or someone trying to pay a bill, or, you know, there's, there's, everyone has to deal with the people that collectively our industry recruits and employs. So I think it's quite... We've almost got a duty of care in a weird kind of way. Um, I certainly find it fascinating how, how it's changed over the last, you know, 20 odd years. But it's also quite interesting, Guy, in that um, we're kind of like the, um, uh, we're, we're doubly hated in the fact that we are um, recruiters. <laughs> so, so basically everybody hates recruiters like they, like they hate um, estate agents. And um and then, and then you tell them that you're recruiting call centres, and, uh, and, and then everybody hates you. I mean, my dad won't even tell people what Guy and I do. You know, it, it, they're recruiting call centres. Oh my God, really? So yeah, I think when when you're when you're hated this much, you have to love it, don't you? Because that's that, that's the answer. But I think for us, it's been really fascinating, as Guy says. You get really involved, and um, the change. I mean, of course, in every industry, there's been huge change, but there's been massive change in contact centres. And and I write a lot about it, and I find it really interesting. You know how there was a point in time where everybody thought by now we would have far more AI, would be far bigger and that we would have far less reliance on people in contact and actually you know I think the pandemic has had a lot of uh, a lot of effect in many many ways but one of the things I think has had an effect is that people still want to speak to people yeah. they missed yeah. it so much and yeah. you know you, you even now when you go onto IVRs and, you, and you're even doing sort of um, chat on with bots it, you don't get the answers you want still and I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of investment still required in technology, but I still am a big believer in that people still want to deal with people. And recruitment is absolutely part of that. I think there was a time also where lots of people and lots of businesses have tried to automate recruitment, have tried to take out people in the process and technology um, and application and, and CRMs have tried to do that, but you can't achieve it. And in this market, more than ever before you cannot achieve it because you have got to you've got to have a contact with people and 
Guy and I, we you know, we love that. We love the fact that you've you've still got to speak to people and you've still got to be involved and you're and you're so valuable in that process. So I think technology yeah. technology is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant tool used correctly. So there's there's technology out there that will screen, you know, hundreds of thousands of candidates at a time and filter them through very, very effectively, which is great if you're, you know, your KPMG and you're hiring for 50 grads, 50 grad places and you've got 50,000 applications. But when you hire for three Norwegian speakers in middle of Birmingham, you don't need to put these people through a filter because <laughs> you manage to find three Norwegian speakers in the middle of Birmingham. But you need to snap the hands off and just take them on board with them. It's brilliant. You've touched on so many great subjects and we'll, we'll come back to them. I'm, I'm really interested in um, the story of like Cactus Search. So you two come together. Did you... Um, did you come together to create Cactus Search or did that happen afterwards? Oh, actually, I, you know, I've forgotten to, to say that interestingly or not, as people may find, Guy <laughs> and I actually went to school together. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, it, uh, you know, being, he was she'll, two years younger than me. So being, she didn't know who I was, Martin. She no, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know who he was. Obviously he knew who I was, but... Um, yeah, we were actually at school <laughs> together and it was so strange when we met at Capita and then suddenly we realised we'd been at school together and then we had lots of people in common but then had never even met each other. So wow. basically we, we were destined. This was destined yeah. a long time before. But uh, back to your question about how did we set up Cactus, um, Guy's probably better to answer this, but in, in, in a nutshell, I think Guy had got frustrated with um, working for a business and really wanted to, to try it again. And, and this time, make sure he owned it. I think, I, I think I, yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think I got frustrated with the one size fits all approach. So when you've got a capital is, is a brilliant business in so many ways and so many large businesses are fantastic. But when you've got, you know, you've probably got 20 different recruitment, recruitment businesses in a large business um, and all the other businesses they had, it's technology and everything gets dumped on you. You know, this is going to be great because it's great for some business over there. Well, actually, it doesn't really work for, it's not fit for purpose what you need. Um, and I just found it a bit frustrating, if I'm honest with you, that um, that we were kind of, um, we're hampered. We weren't able to go and do our own thing as much as we wanted to because the corporate governance and the IT governance that we had in place. Um, and maybe I was always destined to have my own proper company. And then naturally, the question is why cactus as a oh, name? Guy has to answer in. this. I was about four <laughs> pints in with a friend, <laughs> and I like I like visual things. So I like visual. Hang on, I'll move sideways. There we are. I like visual things. Yeah, love it. There we are. Love cactus. it. Um, so yeah, I like visual things, and and all of our competitors at the time were were all call center this or contact center that, and it was all a you know, you're, you're kind of lost in the muddle of, of everyone with similar names. So I wanted something completely different. Um, for I better just, or for worse, that's what we ended up with. I was going to go back just one step because uh, mm. I didn't, Guy set up Cactus on his own back then. I still was working at Capita and um, and I, I really loved my time at Capita. I learned so much, uh, you know, even as uh, the, the units that we ran were relatively, well, very small in, com in comparison to, to Capita size. Um, we had to we had to learn how to run our own PL. And it, it there was a lot, an awful lot that Guy and I would say we 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 took from Capita that, that has really helped us in our future. Great experience. Great really experience. good experience, yeah. I mean, and I yeah. I think uh, you know, when Guy set it up, I didn't join him at that point. I was thinking of you know what else I wanted to do, and they actually closed that site in Cheltenham and and um then they they sort of repositioned it in Basingstoke. I didn't want to be based there. So then I had to think about what I wanted to do. Um, and I did a few bits of consultancy. And then funnily enough, my father, he said to me, I don't get it. You know, and he said, genuinely, I would not say this to many people, but you and I have always worked together. You have a great relationship. You, you, I really think you should do this together. And uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember speaking to Guy about it. I said, your dad says we should do cactus together. I should come and join you in the business. And then we both sort of sat there for a minute, didn't say anything, and then just went, why didn't we think about this? <laughs> yeah. 
no, oh my goodness, we've had to give the credit to my father, but uh, he was right. And I mean, he was in business himself. So I think he, you know, he had some background and some knowledge into what works and what doesn't. And I always take it as a great compliment. When I tell people that Guy and I have a business and we work together and we're pretty much 24 seven together, I get two reactions, okay? Yeah. I get this one, which is, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? Do you not want to kill each other? Yeah. Well, that's the usual reaction. Or I then get the, you know, that must be great. You know, you must, that must be really good. You must have such a great relationship that you can do that. Uh, but actually, the first reaction is the one I usually get, yeah. not the second one. <laughs> but it, we, are wonder- we are lucky. We are lucky. I wonder if that's changed during the pandemic as well, because everyone started to kind of work um, with their loved ones. And maybe there were, I know there was quite a lot of um, TikToks and and videos on YouTube with people saying, I didn't know the work version of my significant (laughs) other. And I don't like the work version, the mannerisms, you know, because people are working closer together. Whereas you two, you've already kind of, gone through that stage <laughs> hearing hearing your significant other on a, on a call being being fairly forthright like, wow yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 no there was nothing new for guy and i we'd, we'd no. seen it done it we heard it all before so yeah. yeah but we're very lucky in that we we we're very confident in speaking to clients now and bouncing off each other and um you know you you do don't you after this long working together and um we always used to have a rule that we didn't talk about it at home but uh, that rule doesn't apply because we still do talk about it <laughs> yeah. at home and even worse home now work. even worse now we work from home exactly home is home is work for some of the week and not for other parts of the week just what were some of the things when when you started cactus and i have to applaud you on the on the name by the way i think it's um it's like kind of genius it, it because it just sticks it just sticks in your in your mind and you're right it does differentiate you completely when 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 you started and said here's what we're going to do and you and you started the work what were the kind of principles that uh, were really important about how you operated well i'm just going to say this before because guy set this up and it was in his image to begin with but i'm going to say i had cut my teeth in a very, very aggressive uh, recruitment environment. IT recruitment back then was really tough and you Mm. lived and breathed it. And it was, you know, I I learned so much from it. But what I also learned was I learned how I didn't want to be a recruiter. I learned how I did not want our business to operate, behave um, and treat candidates and clients. And I think that we started off the ethos of Cactus with very much how we didn't want things to be rather than how we did yeah. and how we did evolved. But I, we had very, me probably more so than Guy because I'd worked in such tough, aggressive environments that I just knew that we we, we didn't want to operate like that. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, know what you think, Guy. That's, yeah, that's, to be fair, that's probably the best explanation. Um, we just wanted, you know what, we wanted to do a good job for some, for some good people wanted to work with good clients, find some great candidates and do a good job and everyone be happy. That's kind of, it sounds really weird and lame, but that's kind of where it is. And money, you know, if you can do that, then the, then the, 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 the billings that you send out and the revenue you make is secondary, but it comes. Yeah. I, I really like that. And I, I think it's um, very similar to, um, for people that you work for, you, and if and if you have a, the uh, desire to progress, you learn from everyone, right? And some of that mm-hmm. is also, I'm not going to manage like this. That's one thing I do know. This is what I've learned from you. I'm not managing like this. And then you go on and you you apply it when you when you do become a manager. I think it's I think it's refreshing to know the things that you won't do and the way that you won't um, operate. Has it been? Have there been times when that's been challenging? Because if you're kind of sort of pitching yourself slightly different to how a lot of others operate? Yeah, hugely challenging because there are times when we, you know, we're up against it. And I'll give you a really easy example. A lot of a lot of agencies historically would send a CV to a client without even speaking to that candidate because they want to get the CV in first and because those are the mm. rules. So if you create a rule like that, you're creating 
you know, massive issues in terms of the yeah. service you're getting. So yes, I mean, we wouldn't do that. We never have. Um, and I think there are times when that would have created a barrier for us. and We may have even missed out. But I think we're, we're very principled in lots of what we do and, and how we how we treat people. And so we have really worked hard also to educate our clients. And I, I don't mean to sound sort of, um, you know, belittling by saying that, but I think genuinely we've learned and we know so much about what works mm -hmm. that I think it worries us if clients don't listen to us and if clients aren't willing to sort of work with us it, it we then actually it becomes a concern because you think well if your client is not willing to listen to us who really know what we're talking about then yeah crikey, we're set it's all setting up to fail um right. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, in, we're in the market we're in the market all day every day speaking to people who are who are at the moment are moving at lightning speed so to have organizations sit on cvs for maybe a month or how manager sit on cvs for a month and then wonder why they're not there and trying to put them through a five-stage process to, to recruit someone. Those days those days probably weren't ever there, but they're certainly not there now. You know, mm. it's speed, it's, it's engagement. And candidates want to be engaged. They don't want to be put through a process. They actually really want to be engaged and, yeah. and feel like they're, 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 they're going through this really great experience. Anyway. Do you find then that um, in that kind of uh, the relationship that you're developing with your clients, and the education you're providing based on your experience and your insight, it also includes, is there, or have you seen a desire from clients for quantity over quality? So that's a measure of success is how many applicants they have for a particular role versus kind of, well, we might have not have anyone for you yet, but when we do, they'll be the right person. I think, I think unfortunately in, in the sector that obviously contact centers sit in, it is probably more quantity driven because you've got to imagine from the from the work you do martin you know you you know how many contacts that you're likely to expect given a certain day hour yeah. certain marketing campaign and that translates to how many people or how many people you kind of need to service those contacts in whatever means they're going to be servicing so i think that quantity in many respects has come first and does come first over quality, there are definitely, definitely organizations that that doesn't apply to. And some of the organizations that we work with, and certainly one I can think of now, um, they are absolutely quality over quantity, without doubt. Then we've been looking for, a, I think we've been looking for a resource planning manager for them since October last year. And we've, they've got some brilliant candidates, brilliant candidates go through the process, but they just weren't right for whatever, you know, nuance of a reason. And so their their approach is absolutely we need the right person we need the right person for our brand for us for for our environment. Um, I think it it can reflect guy when you have a situation where it is business critical. So yeah. so when life is business critical, of course you have to make decisions that that may involve quite a lot of compromise. And I think that is a very key thing within the contact center market especially on the front line you know there are a lot of businesses that are so backed into a corner because they need mm. they need the, the people yeah. that that you're just driving a perpetual issue and, and one that i'm i'm constantly fighting against and trying to talk and educate about and trying to help businesses not fall into that pit but i mean we are in it now in a way that i've never experienced it but yes i think um it, the other the other interesting thing is that historically there's been this big evolution of businesses obviously wanting to do their own recruitment and recruitment and, and hire their own recruitment teams um and i think that that is when it works it's it's good and it can be really valuable and good cost saving and can do all those things but it to get good recruiters is not just like you know trying to just get someone to do any old job there is a skill to it. There is a there is a real ability. I always say when I'm selling, you know, when people ask me the age old question, well, why cactus? You know, why should I use cactus over anyone else? Well, the simple truth is we have got the same access to the same technology, to LinkedIn, to all the job boards, to everything. My differentiator, 100 percent, is my team. Mm. It's the fact that they are really skilled at finding candidates. And I often use the 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 uh, the adage that if certain members of my team cannot find you a candidate, that yeah. candidate at that point in time is not there to be found. Yeah, and so, that, that, that yeah. is absolutely right, especially in this market. I mean, it's the, 
the, the days of sticking a, an advert out, and, you know, hoping your response is going to be big enough so you can, you know, weave them down assessment centre and all that kind of stuff. Those, those in certain roles and certain levels, are, they're just not there anymore. It's just, it's just not where it, where it was. You actually need, and we're headhunting, we're headhunting, effectively, we're headhunting agents. That's what mm. we're doing. Wow. The teams are headhunting agents out of businesses to put them into other businesses. So I suppose that, you know, why would that agent actually leave? And this comes on to a much bigger question. Why would that agent actually leave the company where they are and go to somewhere else with salary, flexible working, benefits, environment, you know, whatever it may be. But we are, we are headhunting agent level candidates, which is a whole different world to headhunting yeah. senior level candidates, believe me. But also, as Francesca said, this is where, you know, if you're going to build an in-house recruitment team, you need an in-house recruitment team, and everyone does, but they don't have the time maybe to go out headhunting mm. agent-level candidates all day because they're dealing with mm. volumes of things. So they need partners that they can they can pull on when they need to. And I think it's not it's not just about the ability to find candidates. The, the ability now is about how do you engage with them? How mm. do you really make sure that someone's listening to you? They're bought in. That they are you know they stand a good chance of turning up for an interview because that's a massive issue that they all the way through that process you need there is a real skill to getting candidates engaged and, and driving them through the process and all the bits that that we have to do daily right up until they're not just started the job three months into the job and beyond it is intense and the only way that we can ensure because fundamentally we're a business and we're mm. running it to make sure that that we're commercially viable the only way we can do that it, the, the work involved now is extraordinary. Is. And yeah, we've got talented people that do it and, and are passionate about it as well. I thought when, um, it must be great to have that confidence in your team, but when you mentioned searching for a resource planning role since October, straight away, I just, I just thought that is a Herculean task of relationship management because you mentioned great candidates. So as you've prepped and got ready and developed a relationship with a candidate to place them there only for the client to, for, for their criteria, say, no, you've got to have the relationship with the client. You've also got to have the relationship with um, the candidates. And you, like you said, you use the word brilliant candidates and then still manage yourself and through the, the kind of the disappointment, I guess, of right. Okay. We're still at it. I'm still plugging away since October I just thought that that sums it up right there. It's it's often overlooked, I think, as well, that kind of relationship management angle. Do, do you know what, Martin? I um, And normally, sorry, sorry, Francesca, normally you wouldn't be proud of this um, in the recruitment world. However, I'm pretty proud. So it took me 232 days to recruit, and it was resource planning again. I'm not saying we can't recruit resource planners, but this happened to be resource planning. Anyway, to recruit a resource planning manager for a retail client of ours who are based in the Lake District. Now, the challenge was that this candidate needed to be on site three days a week. Mm. Now, the Lake District is beautiful. Contact centres, there are not. <laughs> so you had to find someone who's prepared to get in the car and go to the Lake District two days a week, and they had to be within a commutable distance. Um, I mean, the organisation, we're, we're, we're offering a very, very good relocation package, but you're not going to relocate immediately. It's going to take you six mm. months to work yeah. out what lot. You know, they like you. Anyway, so it did take a long time, but we got there. And the client was brilliant. He knew how much effort we were putting into finding this person. And we had a couple of false starts. We had an offer and a decline and this, that and the other. But he knew how much effort was going in. So I was happy just to hang on for the right person. And he got the right person in the end, which is great. But as I said, normally in recruitment, you would not be proud of 232 days. But I really am. I really am. They're still there. Check in most days. I love it. I was going to say that that sort of leads on to the, the three phrases that over the years our team must have heard, for, certainly from my mouth and from, from both of us, that, that have always been there. So the three things they hear is, and the one that you, you were saying, Martin, in understanding the sort of task of it and the emotional um, upheaval and up and down mm. is it's a roller coaster. Every time, you know, they're, 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 they're someone's dropped out, they're about to start, they haven't started. Of course, we don't get paid. We do all the work. We don't get paid for it until they start. And then they've got to stay in the I'm job for three months. months. 
you know it's 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 really tough so it's it is a roller coaster so they they hear me say that all the time and the other one based on the other two based on uh something guys just said then about his client in the lake district is never give up because if we are the ones that stay standing all the others will give up before us so we will win in the end so never give up and the other one is just manage the expectations and that is so critical to everything in our world the client expectation the candidate expectations your own expectations as a recruiter manage them and be really clear about them from start to finish and i think if you keep those three three things in your head um, you have to take a lot of breaths and i always say to the team rejoice in the good bits rejoice when uh, we've had success because unfortunately the bad bits always take over the good bits so you we have remember to remember that. you know let the bad bits go rejoice in the good bits i actually feel really motivated by that <laughs> it's quite um churchill-esque that is um martin we're recruiting come join the team <laughs> it's very very true it's very, very true, though, about we don't often stop and smell the roses, people kind of like moving on straight away rather than, you know, we're very quick to evaluate and debrief on our losses and what we can learn. But the wins we kind of discount. I don't know if it's something in our in our um, nature. I'm, I really wanted to ask you if when you talk to do you talk to other recruiters in other industries, if they ask you what the contact center industry is like to recruit for what's your answer very good question well i tell you what i initially what i always say is that it's very unique because and when yes we do we've got friends in recruitment and um you know the, uh, we've got we've got lots of, of knowledge of other people in recruitment we have those conversations martin and what i say is that in a lot of these marketplaces 90% of them now. So you look IT, if you look at all the vertical professional services markets, IT, marketing, HR, um, even in the healthcare services, um, in most industries now, they are massively candidate driven. So the candidate is absolutely key. Um, I would say, I'd say in our market, it is, it is a real split because you can have um, planning roles, some, some of the more technical roles, some of the harder to fill roles, the analytical roles, which are like, they're just so hard to find the talent. So you're, again, it's a very candidate driven marketplace. And then on the flip side of it, you can have other roles that are perhaps a bit more standard where you'd expect in a pyramid structure that is that is contact centers that you're gonna have more people of. So team leaders, mm -hmm. uh, customer service, um, managers where you might get a response in certain locations or hundreds and hundreds of people responding. So, yes, we are very, very unique in that we have to be really good at sifting if we get a lot of candidate supply and really good at hunting if we get no candidate supply. And that is very unique within um, the whole world of recruitment. And we have tens of thousands of people on our database. And one of the other interesting things I will just put out there, which has blown my mind, okay? So candidates apply to us and they put no, and I understand this because GDPR has, has, has its place and fair enough, but I think this is where it's gone a step too far. People apply to us, yes, can you keep us on your book? So if, if you get another job, you can let us know. Yeah, I would. But you've, you've put in no contact details. You've put in no location of where you live. So if it goes and it automatically parses to our database, we'll never find you again. That's mental. Strange. So we have all these thousands and thousands and thousands of candidates. And not only that, Martin, we are afraid of sending out mm. mail outs to people yeah. because then we're getting people coming back. To, well, that isn't me. I'll take my, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about the fact you've got our data. And I, of course I get it. And I really understand the fact that you have to protect people's data, but it has massively impacted how we can search, how we can contact and how candidates, you know, how we store their data because we can't find them again. I think, I think realistically though. So this is, this is, sorry, two things, two things. Firstly, I think, um, the contact center industry is such a broad industry for recruiting into the contact center industry. You can be recruiting agents all the way through to IT directors because they have, you know, their, their, their job is purely based, focused on the contact center, to speech analytics, to resource planning, to sales, to service, to collections. You're getting 
you're getting this it's, it's a humongous broad industry mm. if you're just recruiting into let's say the marketing industry and this is no disrespect to any marketing recruitment companies but if you're just recruiting marketing then you've got b2c b2b you've obviously got product and you've got service but it's it's kind of a, it's a narrow narrow whereas ours mm. is a broad narrow if that makes sense yeah um, but sorry just on the database thing so so when recruitment when you know when we started the business in 2003 the whole the whole focus was build a database get data get candidates details build a database build mail mailing lists build everything we can because that's how you found candidates quickly that is no longer the case you don't use your database anywhere near like you used to it's so freely available You've got LinkedIn, every job board available. And so you don't, the database you have is out of date so quickly because so many people move so much, it's completely out of date. So actually your in-house database is now not worth anything. You can start up a recruitment business without any in-house database. And that was kind of the only barrier to entry before. Now there is no barrier. You've got a you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn account, then you're off your way. Yeah, it's I think fascinating. You, there are some markets. So the healthcare market is a very interesting yeah, one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so, so candidate short. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we've got, they've got, we've got massive issues in the UK, as everybody knows. So your candidate then is so protected and you yeah. have people who are constantly just calling people, checking what they're doing, where are they? They're still, so their management of that, of that CRM and of that, those candidates is intense. Uh, because it has to be because it, the commodity is so great that you need to know who's available you know can can they do um, uh, um, shifts or whatever whatever so it has a different focus um, but I think you know what Guy and I are finding now is that the world is so big out there and and the speed as Guy said the speed to recruit and the change in terms of people moving on and that the how how you know how what is the time scale now for data being in date mm. um and for yeah. us it's not long and the amount of clients now that i speak to on frontline certainly for volume and frontline type roles and they'll say to me oh well you know um what's the market like for people in manchester at the moment in this sort of role and i said well i can i can give you a pretty good idea about who else is looking out there and and um but well who's who have you got on your books and i just think no 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 no, I don't think you get it. There is no such thing as books anymore. Yeah. Books are gone. Books are closed. We've closed those books. You know? No more. <laughs> and that's the same thing, with, same thing with salary surveys. So we get asked a lot, we've got a salary survey. And we actually said we haven't because it changes weekly and monthly, especially now. It changes so quick that, you know, we can go to the effort of actually building one and then it's out of date anyway. So. But, that, but on that, Martin, I would say it is a key thing that I do a lot of work for for clients. And I, you know, when people say, well, well can you give me an idea of, of what we'd need to pay locally? And I said, yes, and I'll do that. But what I do is I look locally um, and I don't just look at contact centers. So I take a broad um, stroke of the market around the salary, salary mm. and location and what's on offer, because they're your competition. You certainly, not, again, frontline, they're your competition. It's not call centers mm. anymore. You know, who yeah. else is recruiting? Well, that doesn't matter. You've just got to yeah. look to see, you know, in that market, in that salary bracket, what, what is out there. And not just that, now we are faced with an even bigger challenge in that, you know, the first job that comes up in your search is a remote job. So it's not just in your local area. You're mm. actually, yeah. you know, you're, you're competing against the whole of the UK. Um, and I think that that's a struggle for a lot of a lot of businesses, a real struggle. Because you're so entwined in everything about uh, the industry, and like you say, it's kind of the breadth of all of the roles, which I just love about our industry. It can be finance, HR, learning and development, resource planning, uh, man just operational management, all of these different things. Uh, I'm really keen to get your views on... Um, what's changed over the last few years you know we've, we've gone, gone through some seismic changes as a society um, but for the industry itself and I think there's a couple of things you've already touched on kind of the speed with which you're required to get roles and also the speed of change what else kind of when you look over this last like let's say three to five year period how, what are you what are your views on the industry how's the industry changed Frankly, that's quite a big question. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll let Guy think on it. You know, yeah. his brain is obviously in, in need of, uh, of, a, of a reboot. 
because I didn't get I didn't get the toast this morning that you did. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. No, no, no. sorry. There you go. That's it, isn't it? It's, it's all down to the toast. Um, I think it is so hard to put that into one box because yeah, really um, the industry has changed so 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 much, and I, and, and even just from a how we recruit, let alone in mm. contact centres. And I often say to my children, um, you do realise, don't you? When I first started in recruitment back in 1997, um, we didn't have any internet, we didn't have any email, I didn't even have a mobile phone. And they sort of look at me as if to say, I just don't get it. I mean, how on earth? I mean, what, how do you call people? How do you communicate? How do you, well, I'll tell you what we used to do is we used to put the CVs into an envelope and we used to post them. Post? We used that to was... post things. Yes, or, or I'd stand by the fax machine and fax yeah. them. Um, but you've, got to, you've got to remember, Franks, actually that the posting of CVs if you take that back to applying for jobs, okay? So when you apply for a job in, you know, 2001, whatever it may be, or 2000, or probably slightly before that, you, you, you printed the CV on a printer, you put a stamp on it, you wrote a cover letter, you put it in the post box, you sent it off. You may have sent 50 off, but you sent it off. You then got a response most likely by letter. You're heavily invested into getting that job. Now you yeah. stick a thousand jobs into your, into your basket, hit go, and then you get companies and recruiters calling you or emailing you and the amount of times you phone someone and say hi yeah you've just applied for this job just remind me what job literally it's five minutes ago <laughs> yeah i know but i applied for loads it was five minutes ago you applied for this job so this is what it is oh yeah and this is what it's what's it paying well it said that on the advert but anyway here we go this is what it is yeah and where's the location well here you go this is the location oh yeah no it's, it's not enough it's too far. I didn't realise it was that location. <laughs> Just apart from the job. <laughs> okay, no worries. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm kind of digressing. You know, no, that's fascinating. It's so I, true. I, it's so no, true. You know, it's, it's nuts. Even just, you know, I'm thinking about it now. I'm not going to dwell on it, but it does give you a real sense of how things have changed. Back then, we used to have to either tip X or get white pieces of um, sticky, like, um, you know, sticky labels, but really thin and have to cover over the, the address and the contact details and then photocopy that CV onto our headed paper and then send it out in the post. And that is what we did. You do know that the next recruitment company Martin does this with, he's going to specifically pick younger recruiters. Yeah. <laughs> no, do you know what? I'm, 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 not, I'm nodding along furiously because I can remember, yeah, when I left uni, I think you're dead right in that it was a more committed action that you took yeah. because yeah. You, you, you wrote, you looked at the advert, you thought, yes, I can do most of this, I think. Oh, here's my CV, print it off address, letter, take it to the post office, write it down in a folder somewhere to say, this is the one you've applied for, this is the date. Yeah, yeah. It was far, far, far different. And that, because um, you cover all levels, all people, and there is this kind of like aggregated democratization, huge technology behind everything. In terms of when you're wor working with kind of candidates, um, are they more transient now and you have to kind of work with them to help them develop that relationship skill? I think I think it depends on the level you're recruiting. I think that, as Francesca already touched on, at the front, at the front line level, you are recruiting someone to come into your business who um, can earn the same amount of money going to work in Costa, Tesco's, another contact centre. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. One of those, one of those organisations. And I think the biggest differentiator right now is if someone wants to work um, at that level obviously that that earning capacity if they want to work in a face-to-face -face environment then they're going to go into tesco's or costa or something like that um, or hospitality they might arguably could be more fun working in hospitality i don't know um, i think the biggest differentiator for the contact center part really answering your question but i'll come back to it um, is is the ability to employ remote workers mm. That is unique, absolutely unique. Tesco's can't do it. Starbucks can't do it. But, and that's the same demographic of people shooting for. Your ability mm. to recruit remote workers and have them working remotely is absolutely key. So when you're faced with the, we want to recruit people into a business park somewhere for them to drive to this business park to earn the same amount of money that they would have earned working in Costa in the middle of town, meeting people, you know, seeing people all day, it's a hard, it's a hard one to understand which mm. way they'd go, if that makes sense. 
I think one of the things that I, you know, and again, going back to that question, Martin, about change, you know, there's so many changes, it's really, it's hard to even touch and scratch the surface, but technology has allowed change in, in how we recruit, how we contact, how we communicate, and the same in the industry that is contact centers. The, the technology that allows and has, has opened up contact, you know, I think sometimes in lots of things in life, that, that whole choice and the speed to it and our whole world being so service driven, but everything is about, I mean, Amazon is a prime example of it. You know, you can order something. I can actually get my Amazon um, shopping via Morrison's if I ordered it today, today is extraordinary. And people yeah. expect that, you know, and it's, it's quite hard to um, run with that sometimes. Um, and I, it, you could go on forever about what, how, how the whole industry has changed, but I think speed to action is one of the key things and technology has allowed that. I'm not always sure it's, it's in its favor or that it's, um, you know, it, it allows us to, sometimes give the best service because people are expect their expectations of when they're going to receive the CV, when they're going to get that, that job filled is all about how quickly can you do it? Um, mm -hmm. Not always. The technology, the right technology deployed in the right way is a massive help. It is a massive and help. Then the wrong technology deployed in the right way even is a massive hindrance, huge hindrance. Yeah, it is. Um, I, think, I think candidate, Martin, go back to your question. Candidate engagement and candidate buy-in is a really, really hard thing to, to, to foster, a really yeah. hard thing to foster. And I think that as intermediaries, if you like, in this process, we spend the vast majority of our time um, ensuring candidates are engaged, sometimes smoothing the edges on both ends, but mm. the vast majority of time ensuring candidates are engaged, constant communication with them, interviews tomorrow, what can I help with? You know, don't need presentation, let's go through it together. You know, in the morning, tomorrow morning, it's right, everything okay for today, you know where you're going or you know what time it is, anything I can help with. If they're doing on video, what kind of environment are they are they sat in? Should they have a blurred background? Shouldn't they? If they're going into the office, you know, it could be even be simpler as, you know, do I wear a suit? You're like, well, what does the, what organization we're we recruiting for and what's their expectations of that? So we spend a monster amount of time mm -hmm. um, helping helping candidates through the process to, to ensure that they give them or portray themselves in the best possible light. And I think that the hardest thing for an interviewee is probably turning up to an interview and just getting bombarded with questions they weren't expecting because they're not going to give you the best response. They're not going to give you the, the absolute nuggets that they walk out after and go and, and shoot themselves thinking, crikey, I should have said that because that's what I did do and that was really impressive. But because they're nervous, they're being shocked questions at, it doesn't, it doesn't give them the best environment to make the most of themselves, which I think is a challenge with maybe historic interviewing processes. You know, competency-based, turn up for an hour, get fired questions, tick box and go again, I don't think brings out the best in people. And there's no doubt about it, Guy, that we know serial um, interview experts that are, are <laughs> definitely not the right people for the job, but Absolutely. they know how to get the job. They, they do indeed. And how much of that is down to, as somebody that's interviewed you know lots of people in my in my career I understand why sometimes you're given a bank of questions because it's about fairness mm. but to your point sometimes they're a hindrance because you can't really have you can't really get to know the person unless somehow the questions allow you to um, foster that or, or uncover something over and above what you're what you're asking for it's um it's a it's a real challenge, and I the other thing I wanted to ask you was around: Are you seeing KTAs and job specs kind of morphing into each other and changing? There seems to be a lot of um, roles where you can't quite determine what it is. You might know the kind of field, yeah, it's, but it's it's interesting because actually we probably only get given a job spec for fifty percent of the roles we recruit. Oh, really? Yeah, honestly. Literally. Wow. And and much of the time we go about the whole process without a job spec. We'll, we'll have a meeting with the hiring manager. Um, we'll get all the information from the hiring manager. But 50% of the time we don't have a job spec. And then we are just regurgitating what the hiring manager has said to us in conversations like this. And I think that 
you know, we get more of a conversation like this with, mm. with you as the hiring manager than any job spec will ever give us. Because the job spec in so many times has been written seven years ago. And it's just, you know, sent out, here, oh, we need another, yeah. we need a, you know, we need two more, you know, two more pools. Fantastic. <laughs> two more of these. Oh, yeah, two more of those, two, three more of those. And I think that having these, I mean, you know, if this was an interview, certainly I've got more out of this than any competency-based hour-long interview that, that we'd have had. Um, so I think job specs are, are interesting. I think that key things in job specs we need. So, you know, certain um, technology skills, certain IT skills, yeah. absolutely. You know, yeah. experience of B2C industries has to be retail categorically. But I think that so, so many are just words on a paper that actually just ask for soft skills. That It's, it's interesting, though, because um, I go back a long way now to something that a client of ours was recruiting for um, for, for sales. And they did a really interesting survey. Um, I think it was for outbound sales. And they actually assessed that, um, and this then came into their selection process. They, they worked out that those candidates that had had when they were younger, sort of under working age, so at school age, when they'd had their own jobs, like a paper round, or um, you know, they'd gone and and, and earned money um, in in yeah. in lots of other ways, or working in the shop, or doing whatever. But but that idea of having a sort of paper round, those people that had started work at a very young age, or had started earning money at a young age, were leagues ahead really? when it came to looking at success in that sales type role and success in terms of longevity in that role it was just it was so clear it was so so clear. Yeah. that's very simple but what it tells you is you're dealing there with a mentality you're dealing there with an attitude that is I, i'm motivated to earn money at a young age and if it's there at a young age it's instilled in you and you're going to be you know you're going to pass that through so then they started using that in their interview process where Love they then that. said, so tell me, when, when did you first start earning money? And it really, it became a really successful tool for them to assess. And that is, I think, a really important thing to remember is that so many people when they're interviewing, and, and I've interviewed obviously thousands of people in my life and, and people to come and work for, for Cactus, to work for Guy and I, and I've changed it so much over time. And I'm really interested in people's background. I'm really interested in where they were at school, you know, what, what their influences are. What, And I just, I just think that, a lot of it is so important where we come from, not where yeah. we are, but where we come from and what's driven us and trying to uh, decipher that in people isn't always easy. I mean, I'm really good at, at, at drawing things out of people and it is a skill, but I think you, we lose sight of that and just really trying to, because what that then does is build a relationship with that person that then they want to open up. There's nothing more intoxicating than people asking you questions about you. Absolutely. I think actually just just on the sales thing, that's something else that that where the industry has changed so much. So outbound B two C sales is a rarity. Oh it's a rarity God. now. Actually, finding someone to do outbound B two B sales is amazingly difficult anyway. But it's actually a rarity. There's not that much outbound B two B sales in or B two C sorry, not B two B B two C sales in in the UK because they it's so hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much law around B2C selling now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in lots of ways, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it has helped. But there was now, a time when that was just, there was a time when that was huge. That was, a, yeah. that was a huge industry within a huge industry, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, when you look back to mis-selling and all the... Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the whole industry around mis-selling financial services and and then all the recoup on all of that it was just insane awesome. it was huge and and that now no longer exists in a way I mean I remember us doing an awful lot of work for a big bank outbound selling you, you just don't have those teams right. anymore they don't yeah. exist you're not allowed they're not allowed, no. Um, but anyway. trying to get people engaged into outbound selling more now b2b is tough and if you are not offering a very attractive, it is all about the money. If you are not offering a really attractive base salary and really good earnings, you will not attract people now. It's too tough. I think, I think, yeah, I think yes. And I think that also there are so many organizations out there where um, where the the benefits and the uh, and the salary haven't yet caught up with where they need to be. Yeah. And this is yeah. this is driven through. I suppose through historic ideas of, of 
you know, what's happened in the past. But I think over the last, since the pandemic, there's been such a monumental rapid shift that mm. some organisations haven't quite yet caught up. They will do, but they haven't quite got there yet. Their budgeting has meant that actually they can't, you know, they, they can't budget another four grand for an agent multiplied by a thousand or whatever it may be. It's just not there. So they have to make savings elsewhere. So they will catch up. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's come so quickly that it's very, very hard for many organisations to do it. They're just, this is what the budget is and I can't, we can't move it. Mm. You, you mentioned something right at the start around the work that you do um, is naturally so important to people. It, it can determine the course of their life, the different trajectories yeah. that that people make, and that you 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 help kind of determine that. And that with that, there's a kind of a great um, responsibility, and also in our industry that touches every part of people's um, lives. As you kind of look forward. Are you sort of generally hopeful about the way the industry's going? Does it excite you? Are we talking call centres or recruitment? Both. Okay. Okay. I think um, <laughs> I think I, I think the contact centre industry is still immensely exciting. Yeah. Immensely exciting. It's got there's so much technology, so much technology that you will never not need people. Okay. That's I mean the contact centre industry since. Since I first started it, they've been giving it five years before it's dead. And you get <laughs> yeah. the five-year mark. Oh no, another five years, and then we'll ne- we don't need it anymore. And then another five years. You know, they've been writing off the industry for years and years and years. Yet yeah. it's grown every year. I mean, it might have plateaued, but it has grown. It, well, at one point, it was slightly north of a million uh, a million people. That's about four percent of the working population. I think it still is, guy. I think it's that still, that's, yeah. It's just yeah. So I think the industry itself is still is still phenomenally exciting, and there's so many routes to to there's so many routes the industry can take in terms of customer contact. People still want to engage. They don't want to spend the, their entire life ordering off Amazon and it being delivered by a drone. Because actually, watching the delivery man drop something off at the bottom of your drive or knock on your door, it's, you know, it might be the only interaction you get today. <laughs> so I think that you know the industry, I I, I think is. I think is awesome. And I think that also that the world has become so much smaller. So, you know, you do end up having to let the phone, Am- the phone Amazon and you speak with someone in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. What's it like there today? Yeah. I've been on the beach. It's amazing or whatever it may be. I just, I think it's, I think great technology. And if you can embrace the great technology and use it in the right way, I think it's got a very exciting future. And I also think on that guy, just going on the contact center piece, you know, I've been fighting for years and years in the belief that, uh, the most important, really, the, the most important people in a business are the people that are dealing with your customers. Um, and I think that their importance has been so overlooked for so long. Mm. This, this, the whole movement mm. in terms of, you know, salaries, um, mm. work-life balance, work from home, all those other things that perhaps the pandemic has pushed has allowed, I think, um, people to have a bit more respect for what that frontline worker is doing and how hard it is and how valuable they are and how important they are. And the shift in some businesses from ridiculous salaries at the top and ridiculous salaries at the bottom yeah. and and the, you know, the chasm is too big. It's too big. Yeah. And it, it's like, well, hang on a minute. Surely the people who are holding on to your customers, delivering to your customers, selling to your customers that's your life and blood of your business they're the people you've got to look after but also so, the, the, also sorry but i think that the equally as important equally important the team leaders yeah. they are they are the most important management structure of the organization yeah. they Absolutely. are what make you know sarah billy and jennifer turn up to work virtually or in the office on a monday morning to potentially yeah. handle complaints calls yeah but your flight not going I mean, that's, yeah. that's a tough gig, right? It's a but tough gig. Your but team <laughs> leader is the one that inspires you to get to work and actually yeah. do the best you can. And yet sometimes some of those team leaders are paid so close to an agent mm. and not invested in, mm. and, you know, with a, with, a, with a pyramid of a structure, you've got your, your, you've got your 10, 15 agents, and there's only one of them that can be a team leader, and then there's one of them that can be a team manager. And, you know, there's, there needs to be more, more development for them, I think. I absolutely agree. And I think if you looked at, and again, I've done lots of work in this, why people leave. I always ask clients, what's your attrition? I rarely get the, the exact number or <laughs> don't always know. Uh, don't, or, or, measure it. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we haven't got a problem with attrition. We just need to yeah. recruit um, hundred yes, people to yes. replace the hundred that we've lost. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, yeah. Um, what 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 I'm saying on that is that um, you know I think it's it's really it's very difficult because um, you you just you you really need to that whole investment is absolutely critical um, more than ever. And I think if you look at why people leave their jobs on the front line, especially your key reasons at the moment are this, and it depends on the order, but I would say the order probably goes at this moment in time, money, work from home, management. And I think that it, you underestimate the effect that a really good team manager has yeah. not only on retaining, um, but also losing. And I think it's critical guys, absolutely right. And I've, we've championed it for a long time that um, they need all the development and you mustn't put and crikey sales and recruitment is the prime example of how not to do it. Don't put your best salespeople as your, as your team managers. It's never going to work. And the mm. same in, in, in a pyramid structure like a contact centre. You can't necessarily put your um, best advisor in that team manager role because it's a different skill set. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it's absolutely vital. But just going back one step, Martin, about the two different industries. And guys answered our feeling about the call centre industry, contact centre industry. It's very exciting still. It's very dynamic. We deal with some absolutely fantastic organisations. Um, and we're very lucky in our market that we cross almost every single vertical market out there. So, you know, we have access, we have experience of finance, insurance, outsourcing, energy, retail, um, telco, everything you can possibly imagine, we touch on it and have experience with it. In your, in answer to your question about recruitment, we have to be very careful. We're we're pretty long in the tooth, guy, and I've been doing this a long time. Um, and we believe in a lot of things. And going back to what we said at the beginning, what was our reason for setting up Cactus? What was the ethos we wanted? You know, good service, good value, and and enjoy it. And enjoy the communication and the relationships we have. And we do become cynical sometimes. Um, and our, our wish, our wish for a perfect world would be to just have clients that really respect us and want to work with us. Because of which we have. Of which we, have we have lots, lot, lots. And, and um, I think if, if you were to ask us what would be the thing that we'd most wish is that all of them are like that. You know, mm. everybody mm. will treat you and, and respect what you're trying to do and, and build a relationship right. with you. Yeah, I think I think the thing is in, in recruitment, especially in the recruitment that we do, you know, we 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 spend eighty percent of our life working for free, literally yes. working. For free. So we send a bill when someone starts work. That person doesn't last three months. There's some money going back to the employer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But eighty percent of our life, four days of our week, is working for absolute free. So if we're providing completely free service, the organisations we work with, we because it's completely free, we do want would like a little buy-in from them and you know draw on our expertise yeah. and areas look this is the process we're recruiting this one person or these 100 you know what do you think well actually if we mm. drop this and then maybe introduce that then that would really help and speed through the process and you know let's not take two weeks to literally review a cv and then book an interview in two weeks later we can really help companies through that mm. and surely us helping will mean they've got better results and actually us helping them they get better results we maybe don't spend 80 percent of our time working for free yeah. And I think, and that's it really, you know, we, we can't change a candidate attitude and we can't, there's nothing we can do there. You know, we've got some amazing candidates out there that are just an absolute joy to work with. And we've loved, you know, not just placing them once, but in yeah. some people's career all the way through their career, which. There's one gentleman, yeah. he's a very, very senior, very, very, very lovely guy. And I've, I've placed him four times. Um, <laughs> yeah, the first one was in 1998 out to Vodafone in Egypt. And since then, he's he's just gone up the structure, and he's 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 brilliant. But yeah, four times. Um, there's another gentleman who I think he got a toaster, a kettle, and a microwave from us. Because you know, you know, for loyalty, you get you, know, you get to set these things. So I think he replaced him three times. <laughs> what do I get this time? And so we've had a toaster and a kettle. You get a microwave. Then. That's the way it works. Yeah, furnishing his kitchen. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And we do have, we do respect that. And a huge amount of our business is driven by the relationships we've had with candidates who then come back to us when they're, you know, looking to recruit. Um, and we, we, we've we always worked hard in maintaining those relationships and enjoying them. I think what I'm trying to say is that what, what we really hope for is that we can continue to enjoy it. Mm. And the, the, the key to that is having good relationships with clients and candidates. Oh, yeah. just, exactly. You just want to feel that, that all that effort 
yes of course it's rewarded when we're when we're when we're you know the bills in and we've been paid it but um there's a lot of heartache to get there so the journey is always sweeter if the people you deal with are just good people to deal with yeah i love that i love it I, i'm gonna have neck ache later because i've been nodding furiously <laughs> to so many so many things that you just absolutely hit the nail on the head just kind of how what we should be doing more for frontline customer facing whether you call them agents or advisors the importance of investing in team leaders That's and then just sharing all the all your insights and letting us see behind the scenes the passion for um, our industry and recruiting the right people it's just been it's been a privilege hugo's agreeing with me as well <laughs> The dog, I love it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing um, two more of these, but Guy and Francesca, thank you very much. It's been it's been awesome. Well, it's thanks for having us, Martin. We've we've really enjoyed it. Very much enjoyed it, Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.